Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Shackman. On Monday, I, like many of us, hit the ground running. Got to the office around 5.30 a.m., had several Zoom calls, phone calls, an interview in the studio. And as I was driving home, I realized that I had talked to people literally the entire day and never, ever had had human contact. Even my office building remains empty. It made me wonder, does it matter? Is physical connection even necessary? Has the pandemic given us a new normal? How has it impacted what might have been things like conversations in the hallway or parking lot, a lunch meeting or a discussion over a glass of wine? Just like in science, when you change the way and the amount of elements you mix together, you get a different result. It's just chemistry, right? Is the same true for real life? Some of you may be old enough to remember that old ad campaign for DuPont, Better Living Through Chemistry. We're going to explore this chemistry and these connections today with my guest, Marissa King. Marissa King is a professor of organizational behavior at the Yale School of Management, where she teaches a very popular course entitled Managing Strategic Networks. She has studied how people's networks evolve, what they look like, and why they matter. Her research has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and numerous other publications. And her new book is Social Chemistry, Decoding the Patterns of Human Connection. Marissa King, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. As we look at what's changed over the past almost a year now and the way in which we connect with each other, to what extent do you think that it's had a fundamental impact on our networks, on our connections, on the way we deal with people, both personally and professionally? The pandemic and the social isolation that's accompanying it has had a profound impact on our social relationships. And I think the silver lining of this is that our time of isolation has in many ways just shown us how important our ability to connect with one another is. The downside consequences of this in my own work is I've seen that loneliness has increased substantially and that our networks have actually shrunk. And they've shrunk by almost 17%. And that shrinkage is actually largely due to a reduction in the size of men's networks. So men's networks have shrunk by close to 30%, and women's networks have hardly shrunk at all. But regardless of how our individual networks have changed, that has profound implications, whether it's loneliness, our ability to just simply get work done, or our health and our happiness. Are there some people that have benefited from this? You talk about different kinds of social networks, different kinds of personalities, and how they deal with with networking and social relationships to the extent that some have lost as a result of not having these kind of connections. Have some people gained? Has it been a net plus for some personality types? So in my work, I found that there are three basic types of networks, and most people can be categorized as one of them, either a broker, a convener, or an expansionist. So brokers tend to straddle different social worlds. They tend to connect people who are normally not connected. And as a result, they're innovative and they're creative. They also actually usually have more work-life balance. Expansionists are your quintessential networkers. They have extraordinarily large networks. If you want to know if you're an expansionist, you can ask yourself, how many people do you know named Alan? Or how many people do you know named Emily? If you know one, you have a pretty average size network. If you know more, you're likely an expansionist. And that gives you a lot of influence. It gives you a lot of visibility. And it's the third type conveners that have done actually quite well during the pandemic. 
Conveners' friends tend to be friends with one another. They tend to have deeper relationships. They spend more time maintaining their existing social ties rather than developing new ones. And conveners have fared well in the pandemic because their networks are imbued with a lot of trust, a lot of reciprocity. And as a result, they've had enough emotional support to get them through. So conveners have experienced far less loneliness during the pandemic than other types of networks. How difficult has it been for expansionists who really seem to need more people around them? It, it, we Expansionists have had a hard time during the pandemic. And I think that they're the group that many organizations are trying to cater to by creating virtual office chats or online Zoom parties. And that's in some ways helping them and trying to maintain social connections with a broader range of groups. But because expansionists network strength really comes from this outer layer of acquaintances that uh, those um, and that's where networks have really taken a hit. Expansionists are having a hard, much harder time than other types during the pandemic. If we were having this conversation a year from now, given that the current situation continues in some form, certainly for the next six to nine months, do you think that there'll be a different way to look at these groups, that they will be fundamental changes that evolve? I think there are going to be a lot of changes. Um, in general, people have shifted towards this more convening light network during the pandemic. It's really adaptive. And we also see this during other types of crises. For instance, post-Hurricane Katrina, people who experienced the hurricane tended to actually develop more convening light networks. And that stays for some time. So I think that that's one shift. The other shift to realize is that when our networks experience shocks and that's very much what we're going through is like a profound crisis and a profound shock that those have those impacts endure for instance um one of the other biggest which is not necessarily a crisis and actually one of you and you could argue that it's oftentimes one of the highlights of our life having kids also has a profound change to our network so when you have kids your network basically falls off a cliff. It gets far smaller than it was before kids. And that's what we're seeing during the pandemic is a similar shrinkage in the size of our network. But what happens most of the time is we don't recover. When our networks get small, they tend to stay small. And that can have long-term implications, particularly when we think about mental health, depression, addiction, and even longevity. We know that the strength and the number of relationships, the quality of those relationships impacts our mortality and can induce pre-mortality to the equivalent of smoking cigarettes or obesity. So that shift or reduction in the size of our network that so many of us are experiencing could have serious long-term consequences if we're not conscious about trying to reconnect once we have the opportunity or even trying to reconnect now. What about those long-term consequences in terms of work life and economics? I think the workplace is going to fundamentally look different. I think the pandemic more than anything has shown us something that we knew, but I don't think that workplaces were attentive to, which is people have really different preferences about how they work, how much they want their home life and their work life to overlap. And one of the beauties of the current situation is I think we've become much more conscious of that. And we've figured out that there are actually ways that we can tailor that. So there are ways that we can structure work that allow for more flexibility. But the challenge is going to be that we know, for instance, 
that working from home doesn't have a long-term impact on our relationships or productivity as long as people are in the office at least half the time. But the trick is they need to be with their colleagues. So if we allow everyone kind of to do what they want and go completely hybrid, we're going to have long-term challenges about how do we coordinate, particularly how do we catch mistakes and how do we innovate. But if we can do this well and be thoughtful about how we're doing it, there's a lot more possibility to meet needs that were previously unmet for either working from home or having, um, you know, our social time at work truly be social and our work time truly be work time, which can be beneficial to people who tend to prefer um, to work in a more constrained way. And they weren't able to do that uh, prior to the pandemic. How has social networking and the technology that goes along with it, how has that impacted all of this in a broader sense in this kind of pandemic framework we're talking about? I think social media is really good for reinforcing existing social connections. So if you're a part of a community or you know people, social networking sites can be good at maintaining existing relationships. The problem is that it also facilitates people being in echo chambers. So if we're only talking to people who already think like us and already believe what we believe, we end up being in really echo chambers and don't have the opportunity to get new insight and talk to people we may not have talked to. And so I think while it's been positive for reinforcing social connection when we so need it, I think it, particularly during this time, it's also exacerbating a polarization that we are already experiencing and is already intensifying due to broader changes in our social world. In your experience so far, how has interaction on things like Zoom and, and even face-to-face contact electronically different than face-to-face contact in the real world? Oh, in every way. Um, and not for good, unfortunately. <laughs> I, mean, I think we all sort of shifted onto video conferencing and during the pandemic, and it seemed like or what we were trying to do, I believe, is to recreate as closely as we could real-life interaction. But I think over time it's become clear that that's just not possible. So the quality of our interactions are actually really determined in a momentary basis based on our senses and our ability to be present eye contact, the ability to this effect of a touch on cortisol levels or stress, or even just hearing a human voice without other distraction, all of that is absolutely essential to our ability to experience high quality connections, to be present, and to even affect our cognitive functioning. And I think what's happened when we've moved online is in many ways, instead of being connected, we're just distracted. There's great work that's showing even if, if, if pre-pandemic life, if you ask someone to be on a cell phone, you randomly assign them and you ask other people just to be walking around doing what they're doing. And then you send someone on a clown on a unicycle riding by. The three out of four people on their phones won't even notice a clown on a unicycle. And that gives you an, a sense of what technology can do from a level of distraction. It just makes it really difficult to actually pay attention and be present. And so while we're using technology as a tool to try to stay connected, in many ways, I think it's actually distracting us from the connections we truly need. Can there be, though, a whole new skill set that emerges in terms of being able to make those connections within a virtual realm? There is, and I think there's extraordinary possibility. And it's one of the things I find most exciting about what we're trying to do. So to design these systems well, you need to truly integrate 
technology, technological affordances and what we know about human interaction. And I think we're making great gains in this. I mean, even the simplest thing from if you realize if you look at average meeting size at the beginning of the pandemic versus now, by moving to smaller groups, we know that four or less tends to be best. And by starting to figure out, like, how can we actually create social interactions like cocktail parties where you can move around and join smaller groups rather than being on this screen or a sea full of people. There's amazing potential there. And if you think about what that means in terms of creativity or social equality or economic equality, it means, for instance, that I could hire someone to come and work right um, in New York City, for instance, where normally they wouldn't be able to afford to work there. But by working virtual, that they're getting an opportunity because they don't have to pay for an, the exorbitant cost of rent. And we're being able to connect with people with different ideas and different backgrounds that we normally wouldn't be able to. And so I think there's enormous opportunity if we can figure out how to do this well. I mean, I guess that, that when we think about the next event that might come along like the pandemic or another pandemic down the road, virtual reality might be the thing that's different in that landscape. I hope there's no (laughs) coming down the world. But I think the word virtual reality, I think, is so important because what we think one of the most profound ways of connecting is through shared experience, either whether that's the shared tribulation of the pandemic itself or trying itself or trying to think about how can we create more positive joint experiences. And that possibility of creating a shared virtual reality is really critical to bringing together people and who normally wouldn't come together. And that's the difference between creating meaningful interaction that's likely to sustain itself. Like how can we can create an event or a moment where we're working together for something good, or we're learning about something new that truly brings us together. And I think that that idea of virtual shared reality has so much untapped possibility. Does the lack of, of connection as an everyday occurrence, all the things that we've been talking about, does it create more pressure on those interpersonal relationships that still exist throughout all of this? Yeah, I mean, we've naturally, as we've drawn away from other people, we're putting more and more reliance on our inner group. And that has possibility, right? There's, there's a lot of benefits to focusing on the people that are closest to us. But the thing to be careful about is, making sure that you're giving as much as you're getting. So many of us are really, really struggling, but almost everyone is also struggling. And so some of the downside consequences of this can be, and sometimes we can be asking too much from too small a group of people. And that's something we need to be aware of, particularly in this time when we're really starting to focus on a small group of people. I'm, I'm sure my husband would answer affirmative to this <laughs> question, so that gives you a sense of... You talked earlier about the three specific groups you you see, the expansionists, the brokers, the conveners. Is there a a fourth group that emerges from this, something that that is kind of a hybrid? Oh, that's a really interesting question, and it's one I've never been asked. Um, You know, I think we're all shifting um, in different ways. And so I think, you know, there are some fundamental rules about social life that make it so that there are these three different types, right? Part of it's just how much time we have and how do we allocate that between building deeper relationships or having thinner relationships. And some of it is also just due to the fact we simply can't be in two places at once. And so there are actually fundamental rules that underlie this social interaction. And what's really 
to me, um, it has this feeling of, you know, in physics, there's the God particle for the Higgs boson. I feel like in some ways, these three types are the social God particle. So they in part explain why the world is small. So in 1950, this is like Stanley Milgram and his famous experiments identified six degrees of separation. And that's because of these three types. That's what makes the world small. And if you look to more recent times, right, so this research was repeated more than 60 years later, and it still was the same. There's still six degrees of separation, and it's because of these three types. And we've been through extraordinary changes um, throughout that period. So in many ways, I think that these types will endure, but I think we've come to appreciate the benefit that, that each one of them brings. And I think, for instance, um, conveners may be really dying for more social connection once they can finally get out of their house. So we may be more open to exploring different ways of building social connection. And that's really going to be the interesting question, the way in which all three groups might overcompensate once there is the ability to, to interconnect. Yeah, and how do we meet each other's needs? Because I think more than anything, I've come to respect the needs, for instance, of expansionists, which I'm not an expansionist, but I understand like what they must be feeling. And what we've seen from a lot of research are in general, people are more empathetic. And so my hope is that by being more sensitive to the fact that people have very different preferences about what they want their social lives to look like. But by being mutually respectful, I think we can actually start to build a stronger social connections and start to overcome some of the polarization and isolation that everyone has been feeling. And finally, how accurate, how self-aware do you think most people are of which category they fall into? Oh, everyone, it, it, people are extraordinarily inaccurate. I myself <laughs> have thought for a long time that I was a convener and I'm not, I'm a broker. And this is what I study. And I think that that's why it's so profoundly important is that people there, we have a lot of systematic cognitive biases that lead us astray. And so by taking a real look at your relationships, it's really helpful, not only for yourself, but also the people around you. Marissa King, her book is Social Chemistry, Decoding the Patterns of Human Connection. Marissa, I thank you so much for spending time with us. It was a pleasure connecting with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.